1: So
2: Jake McCausis is my name, and I'm in the can. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, father." So it didn't take much,
0: though, when you proposed. Um, yet.
2: Unpackage those things with the audience and explore them a little bit.
0: Welcome aboard Broadway Bullet Volume 104. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a lot of great stuff for you this episode. We've got an interview with Fan Yang of the Gazillion Bubble Show, and a very exciting contest to announce to everybody with that. We're revisiting Gutenberg the Musical, which we talked to in Volume 5, and we got them back in to talk about how well the show's been going. We've also got Joe Tantello, the director of the Godlight Theater and his show Blindness, 59 East 59th Street. We got composer Arthur Abrams discussing his show, Uncle Wiggly. And we have got Frank Conway of Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, talking to us about his organization and some very illuminating insights, some backstage funny stories. Marty Cooper, unfortunately, was unable to come in today. He was struck by the flu that has hit many, many New Yorkers, but he will be back next week. But... Let's get started with the program.
3: On the boards.
0: I believe when we were children, I think everybody went through a phase of having fun with uh, blowing bubbles out of the rings. But I don't know if anybody could have been considered totally sane if they would have said to themselves, I'm going to make a career out of this. But... We have Fan Yang here with us, who is the creator and star and impresario of the Gazillion Bubbles Show, here for the first time in America. How are you doing? Yes, fine, thank you. feeling great in America. And what did your mother tell you when you told her, I'm going to
1: make a living playing with bubbles? Well, first of all, she doesn't know what I'm doing at all. My playing and mixing the various liquid solution, putting things together. She must be thinking this boy is just playing around something, you know. But she never thought I will be a performer or artist. M- Even myself, I never thought I will bring a bubble show to this standard, to this level, and perform
0: around the world. Well, before we get into it, this show of yours just recently opened at New World Stages just a few days ago as we taped this, and you've already extended twice to till September. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we ran first uh, one week in January, and we had a phenomenal success. Uh, show was. Uh, created a huge impact in New York and also for American audience. And then we decided uh, to extend the show. My uh, manager, Ron Severin, and from Cast Talent, we worked together on this project. And uh, we decided to extend for four weeks. And after that, we see that show is really doing very strong. And we think that we uh, need to have more people to see this show. Then we extended
0: now to September 2nd. What do you think it is about your show? What do you do in your show that makes it so entertaining that, that drives everybody to, to Well, I it? think,
1: first of all, the bubble is the first magic for every child. And for all of us, uh, people of all ages are fascinated about the bubbles of its spherical shape, of reflecting the lights, of floating. It's beautiful to watch. And, of course, uh, I'm able to manipulate this bubble and bring the bubble to a totally new artistic level, to the new artistic dimension. So I'm creating bubble of every imaginable size, shape, and hue when people come on the show, they just cannot believe what you can do with the bubble, and uh, people of all ages are just into it, fascinated. Uh, they love it, and uh, I think myself also. I really enjoyed working with bubble, and there is no boundary because is uh, mm, is my track of imagination, and I put this together and bring I use the bubble media to create the dream and art, and and I involve the science all together. Is a, is I think is a very unique show. It's the only show in the world on this. Uh, with bubbles on the, uh, on this standard, yeah. <laughs> and you mix it with
0: quite a light show and a lot of music as well, right? Yes, the
1: show is um, is a multimillion-dollar stage production uh, with fantastic lighting, special effects that never seen before, the laser, uh, music. Uh, all together is a eighty five minutes a show, and uh, I think from the beginning to the end, people are just glued to the stage because they don't know what is going to happen, what's going
0: on, but they I, I, they just float with the bubbles <laughs> into it, yeah. Now, I have to say, I I, I want to ask you, what is your heritage? Because with the name Fan Yang, and and you look to me Asian, but I'm hearing like a German accent. So so I'm kind of curious what your heritage is. Yes, actually,
1: I have to say I come from everywhere. This I also say to the audience during my show, Uh, I was born in Vietnam. My mother she is Chinese Vietnamese, and my father came from Europe, from Hungary. So when I was two years old, uh, my family moved to Yugoslavia, the country that does not exist anymore. And I grew up in Yugoslavia, and I did went to Germany when I was sixteen years old. I spent a few years in Germany, and then after that, okay, so Canada. A... <laughs> so it's everywhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was beginning to say, was I an idiot for saying Germany? <laughs> <laughs> Good guess. And so somewhere along the lines, how do you discover that you've got a talent for bubbles? When I started to work with bubbles, it was um, when I was 18 years old
1: where I really get into it. But uh, actually, it's come everything from my childhood imagination. As a little boy, I was fascinated about the reflection of the lights on the surface of the water. I grew up in a very v- poor family, and I used to play at the river nearby and uh, seeing the waters creating the small bubbles and they're floating on the surface of the um, of the water. And I was fascinated about uh, the reflection of the lights on these small, tiny bubbles or throwing the stone to break them. And I was just having a dream. How can I make the bigger possible uh, bubble and reflect the lights. And I was fascinated also about the rainbows. Every time I see the rainbow, I was just uh, thinking of that all the time, thinking how I can create the rainbow. And then it just happened uh, after many years ago, uh, the friend of mine, he brought me a small gadget. It was a gadget with the bubble toy. I was playing with this toy, blowing the bubble. So there was a bubble flying to the atmosphere and landed on the grass. On the uh, grass was wet. In that moment, I captured the reflection from the lights on the surface of this soap film. And I saw all this beautiful reflection like uh, on the rainbow. And then I say, um, there must be the way that I can create the bigger possible bubble and reflect lights have artificial rainbow. This is how I started, but I never thought I will ever bring this kind of performance to the stages around the world. And uh, following by my charcoal imagination, I just uh, um, started experimenting with various liquid solutions to, to find out the right mixture to make the bigger possible bubble to make uh, to make an artificial rainbow. and this is how I started.
0: <laughs> so how long does it take at this point to actually start making a living with bubbles? Did anybody even think you could? Did you think you could?
1: No, I actually I didn't do the bubbles because I I was thinking okay I'm going to make a bubble show to do the living. Uh, it was a, something uh, like a hobby. I was enthusiast. I loved the bubbles, and um, it was because I was so poor and I never have a toy. I have never had anything. So the only things I uh, around is is uh, I was uh, I, grew, I grew up in the nature. So um, I was playing with everything surrounding me, and uh, one of these things was a bubble and uh, liquid and water, all this stuff. And then I uh, I was it was somehow, it is. Uh, I have to say, it's from my heart. And uh, um, I did not do the ball because I wanted to make the money. I do it because I really love it.
0: And it's everything but I did on the stage, people see this coming really from my heart. So still at some point, as you mentioned, this is a multi-million dollar show. And this is your first time in the U.S., besides a previous nine-show limited engagement here. Yes. At some point, somebody said... I'm going to invest a couple of million dollars in creating a stage show for you to go and play with bubbles for an audience. How does that come about? How do you, how do you meet the right person to, to take that and turn it into a big show?
1: Well, uh, this production, I produce it all by myself from the many engagements for many years I was working for all the bubbles for t- over uh, the past 22 years. Of course, in the beginning, I have a very small bubble show, Bubble Act when I started. And then with the years I developed it and making bigger, bigger, uh, bigger show. And then uh, beside of that uh, with um, years of experimenting with bubble, I also developed a, the unique kind of bubble toys, which is now selling in uh, 40 countries around the world. So slowly with the income from the toys here and there I put it together and I invest into the show. It was uh, like a 200000 or $300,000 production. So I just expanding this with time. So now this show has become very big. It's a mega scale uh, bubble production, I have to say, the biggest, absolutely biggest show in the world. And uh, if I will at uh, that time ask anybody, say, look, I have an idea. I want to build a bubble production It costs
0: us a couple of millions of dollars. They say, oh, get out from here. It's no way. <laughs> I'm definitely impressed through all this. I did not realize that you, you really built this up from scratch and, you know, step by step over so long. So now that you've actually come to New York, what are your further goals? Well, I'm sure. That
1: I actually uh, would like to share my dreams and fantasy to not only to the people of to people of New York, but uh, to people of America and for, with the rest of the world. And I think uh, it would be nice to make a tour um, in the United States. Uh, America is the America has the biggest entertainment industry. And uh, they saw almost everything, especially people from New York, from Vegas. Uh, I mean, there's uh, fantastic shows around, around there. But n- they never saw bubble show. They never saw a bubble production. This is the unique, I think, show and unique opportunity for everybody to experience the, the, the show with bubbles. Uh, is, uh, is something fascinating that people have to see to believe it.
0: Well, I know you have some fantastic uh, color programs, I imagine. You saw these at the show? Yes. They're looking some great pictures. Hopefully we can maybe get a couple of them we'll put them up on our website cuz uh besides talking you I think our our listeners really should come to broadwaybullet.com and and check out whatever photos we can put up of this show cuz it really gives an idea of the the colorful entertainment that they can Yes, but
1: when people come to the show, they also can experience themselves to being in a bubble because we are uh, conducting the bubble photography so they can step inside the gigantic colorful saw bubble and have this uh, moment capturing the photograph and bring it home. And this is quite experience. So this is what we are doing right after the show
0: and before the show. Well, I, I, this has been fascinating. I definitely wish you the best of luck with the rest of your New York run. I'm From the sounds of it, with how well it's going, I'm sure some sort of a national tour or I can imagine you, you could play a long time in vegas with something like this as well sure. so I, I wish you the best of luck it sounds like a lot of fun and hopefully all of our listeners will get a chance to catch you if not new york mm-hmm. when you come come near their area yeah thank you so much Really appreciate it we are also announcing now the fan yang broadway bullet birthday bubble blowout so the end of april is my birthday and uh The producers came up with an offer I just couldn't turn down. They're going to give up to 75 pairs of tickets away to our listeners to join me on April 26th. That's a Thursday for free at the Gazillion Bubble Show. It'll double as my birthday party and uh, probably go out and do something afterwards. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, But all you have to do is register for BroadwayBullet.com and we'll randomly pick some winners. Now, here's the thing. They're going to give out 50 pairs of tickets for sure. But if our registered listeners hits over 200 in two weeks, they will add an extra 25 pairs. So please go register so more people can come to see the show. Uh, it's at the New World Stages again. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think it'd be great to see a interesting show with a lot of uh, my listeners and get to meet everybody and you'll get to meet everybody who listens to the show, but there is more. Once we announce the winners, we are going to have to do an RSVP. And uh, for those that are unable to make the show, you know, maybe they just register for the site because they like registering for the site um, and to get all of our news and other stuff. Uh, we will go to a reserve list, which will be uh, first come first serve off of a forum post in our thing. So if you really want to go, make sure you post in the topic. It'll, there's a link on the website from a picture with a banner and, it should all be pretty clear. And uh then you guys will have first chance at the turn down tickets. And we've got a grand prize. You send us your picture, info at broadwaybullet.com. dot com. Take a picture of yourself blowing bubbles in some creative places and you might win a grand prize, which is at that night you get front row center at the at the show, and he will take your picture inside of a bubble. Uh sounds weird, but it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> You can find out more at his website.
3: On the boards.
0: Back in episode five, we talked to the actors and creators of Gutenberg the Musical with the New York Musical Theater Festival. Well, that show has since received an off-Broadway premiere at 59 East 59th Street and an extension and transfer to the 7th Avenue Theater at the Actors' Playhouse. So we felt it was about time to catch up with these guys again and see what was going on. It's even survived cast changes, which I think means a successful musical. With us, we have one of the original actors, Jeremy Seamus. How are you doing? Good, how are you? And new replacement, David Turner. Hey. So. <laughs> <laughs> so,
4: David, I understand you've only done two performances so far. That's right. Yeah, tonight will be my third. So what's it like jumping into this crazy show? Uh, It's it's been a lot of fun. Chris Fitzgerald is a friend of mine, and so is Jeremy. And uh, Chris's performance was pretty definitive, so it's a little intimidating stepping into his shoes. But uh, Jeremy and I have worked together before in the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge at the Century Center. And so we bring to it a, uh, a great friendship, and I think that translates to the relationship on stage. So it's been a lot of fun.
2: You can probably even hear our friendship on the podcast. Do you hear how much we're enjoying each other's company? It's very warm together here. It's a good thing the listeners are only hearing it,
0: because what I'm seeing is shocking.
2: (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) You've seen this before in this booth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For listeners who are interested in the full story, they can go check out episode five still. But as a quick, you know, kind of sum up, the basic thing is the two of you play people who are writers who are putting on a backer's audition for an awful musical.
2: Well, maybe know. they don't think it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, they, of awful. course they don't think it's awful. Like, yeah. wh- like every writer I've ever met. That's probably true. <laughs> no, I mean, they have, they have big hearts, and they uh, have obviously followed some, some uh, guide on how to put together a musical. So they have all the right pieces. And, I mean, I would argue even that uh, by the end of the show, people uh, love the musical that they're writing. I've actually had people say, do you really think that the show could go to Broadway? I think the answer is maybe. <laughs> you be the judge.
0: <laughs> how has the process been for you? And it must have been kind of hectic. You've changed actors, and it's a very intensive thing. How When somebody comes in, like David here, yeah. to a two-person show, it's not just like somebody comes into a couple scenes. How much
2: does that have to change everything for you? I think it's, I think it's sort of um, just spontaneously changed things, just sort of organically. My character is starting to morph slightly. It's a, In one way, it's a very delicate thing because it's so specific with all the hats. You know, we use, I don't know how many hats. 30 hats. 30 hats to play all these different characters, and they're very specifically placed. And so in one way, it's like a Swiss clock. It's very, very organized where we need to be. And on the other hand, it's um, the audience, depending on how the audience responds, certain things, uh, It's. it's very... Alive, And uh, it's very different. When Chris and I were doing it, even when we did it, however many months we did it, it was very different every night. So in some ways, um, David is so skilled at having learned, you know, very quickly how to do everything so precisely the way that Chris did. So now it's just like continuing the process of having it be different every night. But uh, David's definitely there where he needs to be, except when I have to grab him by the arm and pull him.
0: (laughs) Before we continue, why don't we play one of the songs? Now, this is recorded, actually, live at one of your performances.
4: Right. So I sound particularly good because I'm Christopher Fitzgerald. Yeah, you sound so much like Christopher Fitzgerald that you are Christopher Fitzgerald. Yeah, it's
2: awesome. Do you want to set up the song a little bit? Um, Well, the the first song is uh, the end of Act One. This is when, like,
4: the... uh, the villain and the protagonist you know meet with both their agendas are sort of coming to a boiling point like any great act one finale
2: you're coming to a point of no return yeah and and uh, you know it's it, it like any great uh, Broadway musical it's uh, it's a rock song and so that's why we really we like to send people rocking to the restroom
3: in an actual production this song would include electric guitars and lasers. <laughs> Yeah! yeah scene eight. the rooftops of schlimmer gutenberg stands straddling a chimney smoke billows up around his face when i got out of bed today history was a lot more boring than i thought in a different way now the bird of inspiration soaring look at Attached to a normal man, a normal man who probably changed your world. Tomorrow is tonight. It's a history and a future fight. Tomorrow is tonight. Monk rises from an adjacent chimney. He is surrounded by fire, and that's today. I killed the future. Now my badness knows. Nobody. Plan unfurled to trick that girl. Now the bird of inspiration's on the ground. Splat! Ah, I crushed his dream. You don't change the world with a dumb machine. At least not while this monk is still in time. On a roof. (laughs) I feel like a bird. A bird who just destroyed a printing press. (laughs) A bird who's in some serious distress. I don't have wings. That is bad for flying things. Gong's in command. Don't say cans when you could say can. You only get one chance to be a star.
0: to follow up on a very different end when you're coming in as a replacement on the show you don't from what I understand you don't have the same
4: amount of rehearsal time as the original cast does so what's kind of your process coming into the show David? Uh, yeah it, the whole process was very fast I've never been a replacement before and it's, it's part of why I wanted to do it with a couple other reasons one is I know working with Jeremy is so much fun also I can see the theater from my window my apartment window so it's kind of cushy Wow Yeah it's awesome For you Yeah and uh, But also to have the experience of replacing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great challenge. And in a show like this, where Jeremy kind of mentioned the Swiss clock precision of the whole thing, the show demands that, especially for my track that Chris Fitzgerald played, that you, um, you have to reconcile two very different parts of your brain. You have to be hyper-organized with those hats, because I primarily organize the hats for both of us stack them you know so that they're in the right order so that we know which jeremy wrote that in his contract
2: yeah probably oh sorry that's my agent. oh
4: sorry that was my caribbean um steel i don't go anywhere <laughs> that. i think they like you know they live a little, little pizz- oh did i pop the
2: microphone yeah yeah that was it. terrible <laughs>
4: That was It was an awesome joke, and it got, oh, no, <laughs> yeah, I like Caribbean we, jokes. I, I, I travel with a steel drum band, but I forgot the screen that makes your peas not pop. Yeah. Yeah. You're and, the first person who's popped that just in an interview. Wow.
2: I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <clears throat> Things just got a little dirty. You're the first person that's popped that <laughs> just in an interview. Just in an interview. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> where were we at here? All the hats, which was in my contract. It, oh, actually, it actually, I mean, I do think that uh, when Anthony and Scott first organized the show, Anthony somehow convinced Scott to do all the hats. I don't know how. That's probably what happened. But yeah. anyway, so you have to be hyper-organized, and then you have to turn
4: around and be totally free and, and creative. And that's the challenge of, uh, of the play, and that's what makes it so much fun to do. And maybe, maybe what? that's the challenge of
2: uh, theater. I haven't learned that. You will. Um, Also, you know, we keep mentioning Swiss clocks. I just want to say this is not an endorsement for Swiss clocks or the country of Switzerland. We do not own an or a luxury. We? No. Have any audience members been inspired (laughs) to learn how to read? We hope so. I mean, illiteracy is rampant in the theater community. Um, (laughs) I don't see nearly <laughs> enough people reading their programs during the show. And it's very clear that the only reason they're not reading the programs is because they're illiterate. Um, no, so do we get, dis- we get
4: disturbed? Yeah, that's a little disturbing. You want to look out there. You want to see people reading their programs. Right, or looking at their candy wrappers, but they seem to be what's it called? Paying
2: attention, right? Well,
0: I, know, like, I, I, I'm more literate than I thought. Like I said, I missed totally in the press release that you had moved in your extension from 59 East 59th to Seventh Street at the Actors Playhouse. Yes, we That's have.
4: Right. Yeah, there one. You know, the great thing about the theater is every new theater has wonderful
2: ghosts, a lot of history. Uh, tell us about the Actors Playhouse, too. Well, you know, the Actors Playhouse used to be was the longtime home of naked boys singing. Mm. <laughs> so there are a lot of strange ghosts. Yeah,
4: strange, very hung. Oh, oh, oh. you know <laughs> what? I didn't. I forgot this, this wasn't the Barry Z. Z show. No. <laughs>
2: uh,
4: I do so many of these. You yeah, know, I know. They just so run together, right?
0: Well, let's play one more song here from <laughs> recorded live. So you know, once again, it's unfortunately, it's Chris. Unfortunately. Damn him instead of David.
2: (laughs) Fortunately for your listeners. But want to set this uh, one up quickly? Yeah, Chris comes in a little bit later in the song as I don't want to give it away as an animal um, or a series of animals. But you're really going to hear Jeremy.
4: This is um, the big climactic. Really, it's a ballad. I think it's a ballad. The 11 um, o'clock number. Yeah, it's the 11 o'clock number for um, Helvetica,
2: the love interest who's a beautiful German girl with blonde hair and beautiful breasts. She's been locked in a tower by the evil monk. And the tower is filled with rats and feces. Aren't they all? All good towers are.
3: The floor is covered with rats and with feces. <laughs> Helvetica sits in her window overlooking... The moon. <laughs> I'm in a tower with rats And some feces The man I adore is so close And yet so far If he were here I would ask him to squeeze these My heart is one big scar I'm blubbering like a retarded lady And maybe I ought to be Maybe I oughta be beaten History's made with the, hearts of the stupid Heaven is saved for the souls who have no sin I thought I was brave when I said hey to Cupid But I won't do that again Cause now I'll never have a friend or lover And maybe I oughta go Might as well go to hell Might as well Might as well go to hell Might as well Might as well go to hell My mama told me that hell was a bad place With no pretty kitties to cuddle when you're low But I can't stop and I know I will never leave medieval death rows. And maybe I oughta go Maybe I might as well go to hell Might as well Might as well go to hell Run sing with me! <laughs> <laughs> might as well, might as well go to hell Might as well, might as well go But should I try to kill myself? I don't know. To be or not to be me. (laughs) I've gotta do it. Albedica bends the bars, steps out onto the ledge, and prepares to jump. can see my house from here. It's beautiful, and it's not real. I'm still in my tower. I have betrayed you, my beautiful Hamlet. And when I say Hamlet, I'm talking about my town. Because there are two meanings of the Body down, I'm just a crying clown Wearing a painted frown, I hear a scary sound It's a three-headed hound, found with a round, round, round yeah, might as well Might as well go to hell Might as well come and get me, Satan I wanna go down with you I want your horns inside me
2: <laughs> that was beautiful I'm sorry I had to say oh yeah oh you never are prepared no and I don't know the, my tears aren't going to mess up this mic are they no they will okay. Now, the night
0: I saw the show again, a, a gal had to prematurely get up and go to the bathroom. And it's a very tight theater, and, and, oh. and I think she loved how you worked her into the program, into the oh. show that night. And I'm wondering if there's been any other, given the nature of the show, if there's been any other particularly interesting, inappropriate audience interactions that
2: you've had. I, I remember. I think I remember that night. And, uh, yeah, I think at fifty nine and 59th, there was... Even though there were two ways to go to the bathroom, uh, that woman decided to use the stage. walking across the stage way. <laughs> she was hungry for a little stage time. Uh, or she was, as I'm guessing, illiterate. and so She couldn't see the word exit. It just looked like a pretty light, with a weird shape. Um, no, that hasn't really happened, especially at the Actress Playhouse. Some um, people are pretty wrapped and um, stuck in their seats. So, uh, you know, there's—in a way, there's an incredible amount of audience participation, but only because, um, you know, because of people's laughter. And that really affects—it affects the show. Some nights, um, if there's a smaller audience or uh, a a group of people that, for whatever reason, they're not laughing out loud, but they're just enjoying the show, the show's slightly different than some nights when it's like a comedy club and it's like nonstop kind of rolling laughs— And the show just takes on a different uh, tone, but nobody's come up on the stage. It's a little, little harder to get up on the stage. You'd have to be really actively going up on the stage. There was an old,
4: insane
2: man who I started calling Grandpa because he... (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the nature of the show is these guys are pitching this show, so the idea that they have their grandpa there just kind of makes sense, but <laughs> it was fun for Which a while, funny. and then he was actually so insane that I was, well, I yeah. wanted to be like, that's not really my grandpa, just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he was like um, a malicious Mr. Magoo. He kind of was. Yeah. But he wasn't blind. It was actually Jim Backus. <laughs> it was Jim Backus, <laughs> Thurston Howell III. <laughs> Well, I definitely wish you the best of
0: luck. As this run continues, it's it's good to see the show doing well. Thank and you. And again, Actors Playhouse, and it's scheduled through at this point March twenty fifth. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And at this point, you know, never take never take the assumption that there's going to be extension. Rush out and get your tickets now,
2: but it's true. We'll Please, it's true. I don't want to I don't want to brag, but two nights ago, Dustin Hoffman was there. It's true. And he'd stay after and talk to us. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that Dustin Hoffman will be there when you come. Did he say? Let's um,
3: just
4: say. What he... are you going to fall back on in your careers?
2: Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> he said he was coming back, but he wasn't going to say when. Yeah. So at some point during the run, he'll be back, and he's going to bring Al Pacino. No promises.
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming down. You're welcome. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us. Bye.
3: The call board.
2: Got a
0: lot of special events coming up. Uh, Right away, on March 5th, there's two things. The Waterwell Cabaret Benefit at Joe's Pub. Waterwell is a young theater company that has been doing new and interesting work off-Broadway. To learn more, visit www.waterwell.org. And also on March 5th, Christine Ebersol will perform a number from the Broadway musical Grey Gardens at 5.30 p.m. at Bloomingdale's Designer Shoe Salon, located at the store's 59th Street location. Now, the first 25 people to purchase RED, that's red-branded, Stuart Weitzman shoes on Monday, March 5th, will receive a pair of tickets to see Grey Gardens at the Walter Care Theater. And 10% of all those red sales shoes will be donated to Women in Need, Inc., And in Los Angeles, Stage L.A. is presenting on March 10th and 11th at the Wilshire Beverly Hills Theater. The Southland Theater Artist Goodwill event will present the music of Sondheim in an all-star gala tribute. By side, by side, by side, by side, by Sondheim. Leading artists from theater and film will join in song and benefit for AIDS Project Los Angeles. Amazing music and great performances for an urgent and important cause. That's the press release. (laughs) On March 12th, Broadway for Medicine benefit for the National Foundation for Facial Reconstruction. Performers include Tyne Daly, Charles Bush, Andrea McCardle, Joanna Gleason, Malcolm Getz, Debbie Grivett, Manuel Feliciano, Deborah Gibson, and more. Hmm. Did any of these people have facial reconstruction? I don't know. I don't know if that'd be called facial reconstruction. In any case, the orchestra will be conducted by John McDaniel. And on March 17th, Barbara Cook and Audrey McDonald are going to perform at the Kennedy Center. Yeah, check out the Kennedy Center's website for more information. And uh, I'd like to mention, for all you actors who listen to this program, we definitely thank you. I also want to point out another quality podcast that's dedicated to your craft. It is called the Everything Acting Podcast. And the website is www.everythingactingpodcast.com. Uh, the hosts go into great information. Uh They inspire you. They give you tips and tricks. They interview some people who don't just give the standard uh, celebrity entertainment tonight interview. They actually talk about things that can help you in your craft and how you develop your career and where you want to go. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Again, it's www.everythingactingpodcast.com. So, uh, remember if you're wanting more information about any of the things we talk about in the call board or anywhere else in Broadway Bullet, you can visit our website at BroadwayBullet.com, click on the volume one oh four show notes, and you will see links to absolutely everything we talk about in the program.
5: Up close.
0: Frank Conway has been working with Broadway Cares' Equity Fights AIDS for eight years as a full-time employee, but also two years while he worked for The Dark Side
6: as Walt Disney employee. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go on the record first off as saying I really enjoyed my time at Walt Disney Theatrical Productions. (laughs) And it's given me great, great contacts because you can't swing a dead cat in Times Square anymore without hitting somebody who's been in a Disney show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was all, I was all kidding there. But. No, I know, I know. I, do, I have so many friends in the shows that it's great, though, because doing what I do at Broadway Cares, I can just knock on the stage door or call people up in my cell phone and say, you know, hey, Felicia, can you do this? Or Andrea McArdle or Christopher Sieber. I mean, I'd say a good quarter of my friends – in New York, I know from working on Disney shows, but they've also made that transition to be working for Broadway Cares while they were in the shows. And they're still the people we call all the time for the stuff we do, which is great.
0: Well, now, many of our listeners in New York are probably very familiar with all your offerings, but some of our listeners outside of the area might not be aware that you constantly are putting on many benefits and auctions and galas and fundraising. In fact, you've raised millions. Like... Since
6: 1988, we raised over $130 million dollars. And that money then is granted back out across the country one of the things i like to let people know about broadway cares is that it's not just broadway the money is raised on broadway off broadway the national touring companies cabarets it's raised from all across the country it comes into new york city to broadway cares equity fights aids offices and then we grant it back out to over 500 aid service organizations across the country to the actors fund of america where we support the AIDS Initiative, the Women's Health Initiative, the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative, which I'll talk about that soon because we have an event coming up. We have the uh, Aurora House and Palm View House, which are two supportive housing units. And we have the Al Hirschfeld Free Clinic here in New York City for people who are uninsured or underinsured. And then we do two, two grant rounds once every six months. And then those applications that come in for those grants, the money is granted out to aid service organizations across the country. So when I do an event, which I do a lot around the country, I always like to tell people when we're in Wisconsin or Illinois or whatever, how much money goes back out into that community. So they know that it comes in and it goes right back out to the people.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's an amazing organization, all the all the causes you support. And, you know, there's a, a month the, during the month of December every year, you know you you go to see a broadway show you can't miss all the actors right exactly the six weeks before
6: thanksgiving the six weeks before uh easter each year is when we do our gypsy of the year down back then and now it's going to be coming up starting march 8th the easter bonnet competition and it's fantastic It, it works so well for us when we have the support of the star of the show which i mean the people who come out for us are fantastic but when you get someone like lauren bacall when she was doing waiting in the wings standing up there making her speech Everybody wants to give money because they love Lauren Bacall. Last year when we had Wicked and we had Ana in, usually the people will say, oh, it'd be great if every person here gave a dollar. Ana said, if every person here gave $20, we'd be doing, you know, and it's amazing the difference. It's like the power of suggestion from the green girl and suddenly there's 20 bucks going into the buckets. So we love that kind of stuff. We love the support we get from the community.
0: What I imagine is probably going to be kind of new to everybody is finding out a little bit more of what goes on behind the scenes in making Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS run not in in gathering all the talent and putting all these shows together. So uh, do you have any particularly interesting stories of, of assembling these?
6: Oh, yeah. Well, what the most interesting thing is that people will know us for one thing or maybe two. They'll know, oh, you're Broadway Bears. And a lot of people call our organization Broadway Bears because that's one of the best known. This June, uh, June 17th, we have Broadway Bears 17. It was originally conceived and choreographed by Jerry Mitchell, who's going to be... Huge, coming up with Legally Blonde. I have a bunch <laughs> of friends in there, and I'm always plugging my friends. You can tell I used to do publicity and marketing. But uh, Jerry Mitchell started that, and so many people think of us as Broadway bears that when they come to the event and find out other things we do, like the Fire Island Dance Festival or last Sunday night's ABC Daytime Salutes, Broadway Cares, it's amazing because they, they know us for one. and What they don't realize is we do a major event every single month and a minor event every single week. So just in the month of February, we did the Broadway Teddy Bears auction where we auctioned off 40 one-of-a-kind handmade costumes that are placed on North American teddy bear bears. And they went from anywhere from $1,000 up to $8,000 this year. The highest we've ever gotten for one was $30,000, which was a bear wow. uh, after a 9-11. It was in a fireman's costume. But we, So we, we're doing events all the time. And sometimes you're running so fast doing one that you, you finish, you sit down, we finish the ABC Daytime event, and now we're jumping into dames. But uh, to get back to your story about the backstage things, so the ABC Daytime thing this weekend was great because it was kind of, for us it was old hat, it was the third time, but for a lot of people it was a fish out of water thing because the actors are used to going into the studio, learn their lines, do their thing, and that's it. This was a great way for them to flex and do different things. We had six gorgeous girls, three from One Life to Live, three from All My Children doing the Cell Block Tango. They rewrote the lyrics to be specific to their characters, so it was fantastic. But my favorite thing of all, I think, had to be Tony Geary, who is Luke Spencer from General Hospital. He and Stephen DeRosa did Timeless to Me from Hairspray, and we did the full thing. We went over on Saturday for a costume and makeup fitting and put him into the full Edna drag in the little schmata, the house dress, the curlers and things. And so we're there on Sunday, and by the time we were supposed to get him back, the event was at 7.30, he was scheduled to come in the stage door at 7, we're standing downstairs at the Neil Simon Theater, and I'm working with these great people who put everything together, and I look at him, and he looks fabulous, but I thought, how are we going to get him in the stage door? This guy is like 6'3", and now he's in drag. So I said, we need a scarf, and... Megan goes, well, we don't have scarves. It's just wardrobe here. And thank God for Steven DeRosa. He says, wait a minute. What about one of the ultra clutch scarves? Because if you've seen the show, the girls do that ultra clutch hairspray number. They've all got like three foot beehives on. So they bring out this giant scarf. We wrap it around his head. I'm not kidding. Like the French lieutenant's woman covering him. We'd push him in the SUV. But this time it's snowing. <laughs> we get to town hall and it is a mess. There were so many people out there. They see a black SUV with blacked out windows and they start crowding around it. I jump out and I'm playing Mr. CIA. Move, move, move. And we've got three security people backing people up. They're going, who is it? Who is it? Is it Susan Lucci? And I said, Oh God, no! So we open the door, and he's in the Edna drag with his overcoat over it, with the giant scarf covering his head, and I'm holding the suitcase over his face so you can't see him. And people are going, Who is it? Show us her face! Show us her face! We they open the door, security, and we go running in. I put the suitcase down and laugh my head off. It was just, it was one of the funniest things I've ever done, trying to bring Luke Spencer in in drag without having anybody see him. And when he showed up on stage an hour later. It took about 10 minutes for the audience to realize, oh, my God, that's Tony Geary. (laughs) It was great. It was really, really fun. You do all sorts of crazy things at the events. And I subjected my friends to some of the worst things. Christopher Sieber, who's one of our favorites at Broadway Cares, was hosting the Fire Island Dance Festival for us about... Three almost four years ago, and we were doing a live auction to spend the day on the set of his upcoming show. It's all relative. So he was doing, it, and I was doing, it, and I kept grabbing the microphone because I was leading the auction. And I said, "If it gets to this level, he'll take off his shirt." If it gets well, I eventually wound up having Christopher there in his underpants on the stage of the Fire Island Dance Festival. But we raised a hell of a lot of money for it, and we appreciate everything he does for us. <laughs>
0: What are some of the other other th- crazy things that have raised a, a lot of money on the stage?
6: We've done. It, it's it's really interesting. One of my favorites was when we had the dinner party here, and we had John Ritter and Henry Winkler. And every night, after the show was over, the audience stayed in their seats because John and Henry would put on another whole show for us. John and Henry would auction off the handkerchief that Henry used in the show, and they had a whole shtick going. And it was funny, and it was about 10 minutes, but nobody would leave, because there you have those two on stage doing this for Broadway Cares, bantering back and forth, the whole cast chiming in, and we raised thousands of dollars. As a matter of fact, that year, the dinner party beat all the regular musicals, usually a play because it's a smaller audience, a smaller show, would make less money that year. The dinner party beat everybody. And as a matter of fact, we brought them on stage to recreate what they did with their uh, little spiel to sell that handkerchief each night. And if that wasn't enough, then each night after that, they would go and stand in the lobby and pose for pictures for $20 a shot for Broadway Cares. It was just, it's amazing the level of commitment we get from people for these kinds of things. Well I imagine it's also a good outlet for you know, Broadway seems so appealing to so many people, but the reality
0: is for a lot of these actors is sometimes for years they're doing the same role. Oh, That's exactly. Right. Which is
6: great because when we do our events, a lot of times it gives them a chance to step out. Sometimes with these with with Broadway Broadway Bears or the Easter Bonnet or Gypsy competition, the performers love to be involved with those because for instance with the Lion King cast, Garth Fagan did a fabulous job of choreographing that show. But they don't need a choreogra- choreographer anymore. But the people in the show who are interested in choreographing choreograph a piece for us for the Easter bonnet or Gypsy of the Year, and they get to get their creative juices flowing and get it in front of an audience of you know six thousand people. So it's fantastic. It's a gr- it's great for them and it's great for us. With all this going on, what was the impetus? Uh, this is before you started with Broadway Cares. But how did it get? To, how did Broadway Cares actually come into existence? There were actually two organizations. There was Broadway Cares which was the producer's aspect of it, which was their original answer to the AIDS and HIV crisis. And there was Equity Fights AIDS. And then they merged, and the two of them decided to come together because to, for an economy of scale to become Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. A monopoly, a master yes. a master charity. <laughs> but ours was very friendly, at least. So they looked at each other and said, we could do this better together. And since then, we've taken on other organizations under our umbrella, like Dancers Responding to AIDS, which was founded by Hernando Cortez and Denise Roberts-Hurlin, and Classical Action. So it's not just Broadway Cares. It's Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, DRA, and Classical Action. So it's really great because we kind of feed the thirst of anything that you're looking for in the entertainment. We've got, you know, Broadway, we've got dance, we've got classical music and opera. And it's great. It gives you a great vocabulary for the whole performing arts field. If you just want to come to every Broadway Cares event there is, you'd get it all. So you got a couple of great events coming up, as we mm-hmm. kind
0: of hinted briefly at the fact you got There's Nothing Like a Dame coming up.
6: Nothing Like a Dame is coming up again. It benefits the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative. And it's just an amazing event. It means a lot to me because I lost my mom to cancer. So it's one of those events that I work... On and I work so closely on because it's an amazing night. These women come together and donate their time and talent. And it's everything from... Spoken word to dance to music to comedy, and it's, it's just completely theatrical all the way through. Can I give some of the highlights? Oh, but definitely. We've got <laughs> Stephanie Block from The Pirate Queen. We've got Mary Poppins Ashley Brown. We've got Liz Calloway. We've got Vicki Clark, who's going to I don't know if I should be telling this, but I will. She's going to be reprising her fabulous number that she did in Follies, Losing My Mind. Wow. We've got Kate Clinton. We've got Jill Eikenberry. We've got the gorgeous Melissa Erico. We've got Sutton Foster, Jen Gambatese, Wicked's Anna Gasteyer Melina Govich. There's so much more I could go on, so I'm going to jump to the end of the alphabet so it doesn't sound like I'm losing people. Oh, we've got Miss Jennifer Holliday, who got a shout-out at the Oscars the other night. It's going to be on stage for us. We've got Maureen McGovern, Julia Murney, uh, Leah Salonga, Julie White, and, of course, Phyllis Newman and B.B. It's It's a great night. And all the money raised goes directly to the Women's Health Initiative. The, the camaraderie beh- backstage, there's no egos, there's no nothing. I mean, my first event that I worked at as Nothing Like a Dame in 1999, I was actually dressing Donna Murphy and Faith Prince for that evening. I was still a volunteer at Broadway Cares, and they said, Oh my God, can you sew? And I said, yeah. So I went downstairs, and suddenly I was dressing, and I was having the pants for the, what, whatever ladies. I was fixing, you know, coats for things and stuff. And, you know, it's just whatever you need to do. It's always a bit like summer stock, putting these things together. I worked in the corporate world with with Disney where, you know, everything's very specific. You do this, you do this, you do this, and it's great. And it's very structured, but at Broadway Cares, when an event happens, if you need something, like this weekend for the ABC, I was running around doing everything from getting cabs to people to helping get Tony, Geary, and drag to making sure that everything was running smoothly. It's just what we do, which is kind of a great thing. Everybody just works together. Now, when is uh, Nothing Like a Dame happening? Nothing Like a Dame is going to be Monday. March 19th, and it's at the Marriott Marquis Theatre. Tickets are available at www.broadwaycares.org. Another
0: thing that impressed me that we were talking about just before the interview that I think our listeners might be interested in is how much
6: are you spending? It's, it's really tough to keep your costs reined in. And a part of the fact is that we've been around for so long that people know us. For instance, when we do Broadway Bears, it would cost more than we ever take in if we actually had to pay for so much of the stuff. I mean, people donate their time, they donate the sets and costumes and the work behind them and the people it to see Broadway bears put together backstage is unbelievable because there are 100 to 150 amazing dancers. There are 20 to 30 MAC makeup artists. There's hair flying all around that looks like it shares wardrobe room. There's, I mean, there's so many wigs you can't believe it. There are costumers who have spent weeks putting this thing together, but they're not finished until that person goes out on stage. And I'm not kidding. They are gluing extra sequins on, putting more Swarovski crystals on, fixing a zipper to the moment they're rushing up the stairs because everybody there is a perfectionist. And it, it all works. It's amazing. Being backstage at Broadway Cares is like something you've never seen before. And for anybody who out there interested, we do have a special VIP package. Broadway Bears is on sale right now, but there's a special VIP package for $10,000 per couple. You can go. You'll have dinner with Jerry Mitchell. You'll get to go backstage. you get to see both shows. You get VIP tickets. And you get to go to the cast party after, which was something pretty special. So, And on the flip end, for the people who can't afford $10,000, uh, how easy is it to get involved with your organization as a volunteer? Uh, You know, it's great, because that's how I started with Broadway Cares, was a volunteer. It was 1998. I just moved to the city a few months ago, and I wanted to see Broadway Bears. And I thought, oh, I can't afford that ticket. And my friend Jason said, why don't you come and work? And I said, what do you mean? He said, work the event. I said, what would I do? And I came, and I still remember Kim Russell, who was stage managing at the time, gave me my first assignment. I was just so thrilled and so excited to be working on a Broadway Cares event. It's something I've been wanting to do for years. And it was such a great experience that Monday I went right back in the office and I said what can I do next and I worked we did a sweet charity concert with B.B. Neuwirth and Gwen Verdon and just about everybody else around and it was fantastic and then we did another event and it just started rolling and I was I worked on almost every Broadway Cares event that I could until they finally brought me on full time So what you do is you either call our office or come in and speak to Scott Stevens. We also have volunteer information on the web that you can find out how to volunteer.
0: Well, I definitely thank you very much, Frank, for stopping by to talk to us and our listeners about your organization. Definitely some entertaining stuff. Great. (laughs) You think there's a chance? I I know there's only a week, but you think there's a chance you might be able to get one of the
6: Nothing Like a Dame ladies in the studio here? I will talk to our producer, Ariadne, about it. I think it would be a great fit. (laughs) Thanks for coming down and
0: talking
3: more. On the Boards.
0: There's always a lot of tricks in adapting literature, especially a lot of classic literature that people know. But we have one person here with us who knows about as much about that as there is to. He's the artistic director of the Godlight Theatre Company and the writer and director of the current play, Blindness, playing at 59 East 59th Street. Welcome, Joe Tantalo. Thanks. Glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the show Blindness? Uh,
7: It's based on a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, so Mm -hmm. is that daunting? Just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It's based on a 1998 Nobel Prize winning novel by Jose Saramago, who's a uh, Portuguese writer. And we are thrilled to have the opportunity to work on this piece because it's such a um, beautifully written book with extraordinary characters and such a beautiful story. The book essentially takes place over, over an epic amount of time, but uh, it's about an epidemic of white blindness that affects a capital city, sparing no one. And there's only one character who retains their sight, uh, a female, the doctor's wife. And she, along with her husband and all those who are blind and suspected of being blind, are interned into an empty mental asylum by the government. Throughout this, the uh, blind have to deal with trying to find uh, food and the bathroom and basically trying to survive, you know. It's scary and horrible and, and, you know, I'm not really doing justice to Saramago's work with my my little description here, but uh, it's, a, it's a great piece. This seems to
0: comment a lot on both the humanity for man and then at the same time, maybe a, a political
7: commentary on <laughs> what can work against our natural humanity as well. Absolutely. You know the book, and, and ultimately the play raises a lot of political questions, and um, and ultimately a lot of theological questions as well. You know this idea of how the government responds to a crisis situation. You know, and the book certainly raises a lot of issues in terms of what what the government did during Hurricane Katrina, even though the book was written uh, in 1998. But, uh, you know, t- one character has this great speech about how the government not understanding what to do with this epidemic, you know, and turns people into empty sports pavilions and disused churches and things of that nature. So it's, you know, you, you read this and you're like, whoa, you know, how upsetting is this? You know, how scary is this? Ultimately, you know, the characters start talking about, you know, well, why would God do this to us? You know, and, uh, you know, I don't think they really come to any grand conclusion, but, um, uh you know, they, they, they certainly uh, go, go through a gamut of emotions about what it means to be human and how ultimately, you know, they're all reduced down to being animals, you know, and how do they work back up through that, you know, because you take away this element of sight and what are you left with, you know. They're left with these just basic needs to survive, to eat, to go to the bathroom, you know, these basic human things that uh, um, you don't really think about when... On yeah, um, a totally different area from this, while the subject matter
0: is very serious... Mm-hmm. What you're describing to me also sounds, from an actor's point of view, like sheer, you know, candy. (laughs) I mean, mean, this sounds like a lot of juicy stuff for actors to get to play. Oh,
7: yeah. (laughs) And if you knew my crew, you would know that they would, you know, they love this type of stuff. It's great for them, but it's also very challenging. I mean, for God's sake, they're running around like a bunch of nutters blind, you know. And uh, But they're really committing to it, and they're committing to what it means to lose your your sight, you know, and how does that affect you, and how does that f- affect behavior, you know? It's been quite remarkable in rehearsal what these guys are doing. Now, just on a side note, are you guys using microphones at all? No. You know, every show I've been to
0: at 59 East 59th, I don't know if it's every show there, but every show I've been to, I love the fact that they haven't used microphones. Yeah. You know, they got a great space, and it's nice to see kind of you know untouched you know just you're hearing the actor and their tools and yeah absolutely and uh, i mean we're in the
7: smaller space so if <laughs> if i had
0: but you know I've, that doesn't stop people in other play venues
7: in new york yeah, city from yeah. miking. i know it's ridiculous and, you know and i uh, i love the theater we're in in, in uh, at 59th theater seats what we've we've worked with for the past few years now and uh, you know i've got a cast of 17 can you imagine if i miked all those guys i mean they blow the walls out you know no, but I, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's, it's, in my mind, the audience needs to be an active participant in the journey of the story, yeah, as they're watching it. And I think that when you start miking people in a small space like that, it's,
0: where are we all of a sudden, you know? You're artistic director of the Godlight Theatre Company. Yeah. And from what I understand, this is kind of your mission to do these literary adaptations. And as I understand it, you did the New York City premieres of uh, Clockwork Orange and Fahrenheit 451. yes. So how did those go? And how how does this all work in with your company's mission? How do you find these pieces? How do you get the rights?
7: Well, that's a large question. (laughs) Uh, And tell me, the meaning of the universe. (laughs) Well, let me begin with the meaning of the universe first. Um, So, well, we have... the, The theater company's been around since 1994. And it was in Connecticut for quite a few years. And then when I came here in to New York in 2000, um, things started changing for me in terms of, well, you know, what is it that I want to do, uh, essentially. And so we started getting into, uh, material that was, uh, based on novels, you know, literature. And so we've worked on The Manchurian Candidate, The Third Man, uh, a musical based on this, uh, you know, conspiracy manifesto called Principia Discordia, and then Clockwork and Fahrenheit and now uh, Blindness. So there's something amazing about, uh, you know, having a piece of fiction and then bringing it to the stage and bringing that sensibility of the reader to the stage, that imagination, you know, because we 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 don't deal with hyper-realism. You know, I'm not doing four-act kitchen sink drama, you know. Um we use an empty space. There's, there is a set, but there's no real set pieces, you know, no props to speak of. And so we let the audience fill in, you know, the imagination of the piece. So point being that that works to our benefit when you've got a piece of literature and you bring it to the stage and, you, you know, you really allow that, that reader sensibility to, to, to fill in the imagination. So um, getting the rights can be tricky, you know, or it could be easy, but it's a process because, you know, you're dealing with publishers and then the agents and then the actual author and then if if someone else adapted it. So it, it could be a bit of a process. But um, certainly with uh, Fahrenheit 451, we were able to touch base with Ray Bradbury directly. Oh. And he was – great what a great great human being that man is and very supportive of our production and he was with us every step of the way in terms of um supporting us and checking in and so on and so on uh the burgess anthony burgess clockwork orange you know i just dealt with the estate and those happen to be uh great people as well and with blindness same thing i read the book or i finished the book when i was in edinburgh this past year and fell in love with it at the time i was pursuing other properties but uh those were wrapped up in motion picture rights so uh we went full steam ahead with blindness and his Saramago's agents are great you know great people enthusiastic that we were enthusiastic about the work and uh you know gave them the necessary information just so that they knew we're not a bunch of jerks and, uh, you know, we just went, went ahead with it. And so they, they gave us the rights with the caveat that the script wasn't going to be junk, you know. And uh, so I submitted to them a first draft. They, they uh, you know, being, being – I, I, I was trying to be very in tune with Saramago and his work and, 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 and what he did in the novel, trying to capture that spirit. So they, they had confidence that we were going in the right direction. Now,
0: do you ever have problems with people wanting to – really upset with how you handled it. For instance, this, you know, with uh, Saramago's book, Blindness, here, we, before the interview, we were chatting that you basically don't finish the book mm-hmm. in your play. You you go up to about a halfway point and, and, and let that be the dramatic end of the play. Mm-hmm. W- does that ever cause
7: issues with the writers? That... No, not today, you know. Um, maybe with Blindness, thanks for broadcasting it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, You have to make a decision. You know, Blindness is the biggest book that we've adapted to date, and it's pretty epic in its scale, you know, and and after a certain climactic, dramatic uh, occurrence within the novel, you know, it goes on for another third. Well, just a lot of stuff. I don't want to give too much away, but, but, you know, how do you deal with that? You know, do I make Blindness Part 2? Do I make it a three-hour epic with two intermissions? You know, what do I do? And I I just felt that in terms of the work that we've been doing and our style that, you know, we're usually 90 minutes, no intermission. You know, Blindness, I thought, should be no exception. You have to maintain the spirit of the original without giving a sprawling, crowded tale, you know, and it's not the easiest thing to do. But hopefully we will have been successful at it in Blindness.
0: But in the meantime, people can definitely check out Blindness at 59 East 59th Street. Uh, It's running through April 8th?
7: Yes, March 1st through April 8th.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming down to Broadway My pleasure. And best of luck with everything.
7: Thank you.
3: On the boards.
0: Theater for the New City is putting on a new family musical called The Return of Uncle Wiggly or The Windblown Visitors. We have the composer Arthur Abrams in the studio with us today. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. I can start off by telling us about the show.
5: Well, the show is quite an experience in itself. First of all, it's, it's about the, uh, a little girl's dream, and so it's a show full of fantasy. And as a little girl, she has a little book called Uncle Wiggly, which leads into the dream, and she dreams you know, that she's surrounded by the animals in the book. And uh, it also takes place uh, beginning uh, right in the midst of the hurricane in New Orleans. So the opening scene is right there with the hurricane. And then she's transported to New York, where she has some relatives. You know, remember how a lot of people had to leave their homes and oh, yeah. had to go someplace else? And she finds some relatives in New York City, where she's thrust in the middle of, well, suddenly it's hard to tell whether she's an animal or she isn't. And Uncle Wiggly is a a, a rabbit with wiggly ears. That's why he's called Uncle Wiggly. And uh, he helps her out in New York. And uh, she's gone to Central Park and she gets to meet all kinds of New Yorkish things. For example, some of the characters in the play are two hawks, the same hawks, pale male and Lola, that lived on Fifth Avenue and they're way up on the building. Okay, and there are a little visit to the zoo, and, and I think one of the interesting things about it is that uh, Laurel Hessing has a, such a wonderful sense of humor. Now she's the lyricist. She's the lyricist and and, and the book writer. Yeah. She's she's really wonderful. It's amazing what an imagination she has. For example, when uh, they talk about going to see uh, some of the animals, they says, "Oh, they're in a special place, the University of Animals for Humans." Namely, the Central Park Zoo, it's <laughs> where the animals teach humans about animals. <laughs> so that's, it's kind of cute in its own clever little uh, humorous way.
0: Well, before we continue, um, I may have a demo of some of the songs. This, we could play one of those tracks right now. Which one would you like us to play, and you can set it
5: up? Well, there's a, a song that I like in particular, and particularly the author does too. It's, it's uh, a song about returning. I'll see you again type of song you know I haven't got the exact title in my mind but
8: if the potato doesn't make eyes at the onion when they're playing tag around the spoon if the cork doesn't run away from the bottle if the cow doesn't tickle the moon if the needle doesn't wink its eye if the strawberry shortcake doesn't try to look like a big mince pie I'd like you to know We will say hello Though now we must say goodbye When the rain falls down pouring I'll see you my friend When the tree trunks dunk roots in the rain While the earth and us in it Spins on by the minute. When morning hits your window pane, when is becomes was, as we know it does, that's when I'll see you again. That's when I'll see you, my friend. If cats don't bank pennies in a snowbank, Save up until they have a dollar If the hop toad never hops And the popcorn never pops And the dog's leash doesn't run from his collar If the apple doesn't jump from the dumpling When it ought to take out the pie To a moving picture show I'd like you to know We will say hello Though now we must say goodbye When the rain comes up laughing I'll see you again When the wind sings through branches That's when the snow may hide stars And cover up cause As the earth spins on without end When is becomes was As we know it does It will be tomorrow again that's when I'll see you, my friend. That's when I'll see you again. Now, as I understand,
0: Uncle Wiggily is actually a book in real life, but that this isn't completely 100% based on the book.
5: From- no, it isn't. It's, it's inspired by the book. So guess, what were some of the the inspirations that you took and what were some of the new things you added? Well, I, I can't say that because I've only written uh-huh. the music. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Laurel has told me that it was an, an inspiration. The book was an inspiration, and she's created the situation. Now, how did you come in to be involved with this as a composer? Well, I've, I've been like a uh, working at the Theater for the New City for many, many years and written many, many shows. And I have written two other shows with Laurel Hessing, too. So she came to me and asked me to write this one. What were the two that you wrote with her before? Well, one was called Sketching Utopia, which was about Sinclair Lewis and uh, a little utopia that they had over there in the Englewood Cliffs. A very interesting show. Another one was called The Golden Bear, which was about the Lower East Side and immigrants on the Lower East Side back at the turn of the century. And, uh, you know, those were wonderful shows to write and enjoyed. Creating them together with her. She's very talented.
0: All right, well, let's play another song from the show. Okay. And you uh, want to set this is going to be an instrumental piece of yours. It's a dance, I believe. What's this one? Yeah, this
5: is the there's a wonderful scene where a little boy uh, is at the Fourth of July is told that he will, even though he's ill, he'll still be able to see the fireworks. And it turns out that the fireworks are the fireflies. And they're all danced by the children in the show. We have about 10 to 15 children in the show. Some of them as young as six years old. And uh, it's charming, these these kids are wonderful. So uh, I've written music for that Firefly Ballet and uh, you'll hear that too. Actually, I'm playing the piano on this, but later on when the sh- the sh- it's in the show, the whole band is going to be playing on this. And we have a nice five-piece band which consists of bass, piano, drums, a vibraphone, and trumpet. The trumpet for the New Orleans feeling and sound. And the vibes are used a lot with the uh, firefly dance, as you might imagine. It can sound like a glockenspiel.
0: So where can people
5: go to catch the
0: show and for how long? And-
5: well, it's running, so far as I know, from March 1st through about three weeks afterward. Who knows after that? And it'll be on the weekends. So it's easy for families to get to that, you know, because of the afternoons. Yeah. And where's the Theater for the New City located at? Well, if I'm, It's located on 1st Avenue between 9th and 10th Street. It's located on the west side of the street. You can't miss it. It's used to be the, an old market that was turned into a theater many, many years ago.
0: All right. Well, I thank you for coming down to talk to us about Uncle Wiggly. And best of luck. Thank you
5: very much for inviting me. Yeah.
0: Best of luck with the show. Thank you.
2: Top of the trades.
3: All
0: right. we got a lot more news for you this week brought to you by BroadwayWorld.com, number one source for news on the web. Why is it that Broadway stars always get stuck with what sound like the worst concept for sitcoms? we got two announcements this week. Hopefully... They come out better than they sound. But the first one, Tony Award-winning Hairspray star Marissa Jaret Winokur, will be featured in Fugly, a new comedy pilot for CBS, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Produced by 20th Century Fox Television, the series concerns a sister, played by Winoker, who, with her brother's help, buys plastic surgery for her twin in order for the latter to pursue a career in Hollywood. Okay, let's hear collective Ah, All right. Ever busy playwright Adam Rapp, who is the director of the Flea Theater's current production of Los Angeles, will see two of his plays make the stage to screen jump. Rapp told Playbill.com that Red Light Winter, which played an Obie Award winning run at the Barrow Street Theater in 2006, will be produced for the screen by Scott Rudin, who produces absolutely everything. Another of Rapp's plays, Blackbird, will make its screen debut March 12th at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. Paul Sparks, who starred in the play's original run at the Edge Theatre Company, heads the cast of the film, which was directed by Rapp. And we're wondering how he got that job. Judy Garland's legendary 1959 album, The Letter, will make its CD debut in March on the DRG Records labels. I have a good idea of a minority group that's cheering loudly. The recording, which traces a relationship from first meeting to breakup to reconciliation, is scheduled to arrive in stores March 13th. Produced by Scott Schechter, the CD was digitally remixed and remastered in 24-bit, directly from the original session tapes. The CD also includes a lavish booklet with rare artwork, as well as liner notes by producer Schechter. Musical Monday's Theater Lab has announced its Spring 07 season, featuring new work from the 2006 Tony-honored BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop. On Monday, March 12th, two new mini-musicals will be presented. The Mitzvah of Madison Avenue, billed as a spiritual comic tale, features music by Carl J. Danielson and lyrics by Sarah Woodsworth. The Rubberers, based on O. Henry's A Comedy in Rubber, features book and lyrics by Matthew Hardy and music by Robert Maggio. On Monday, March 26th, Sea Rock City and other destinations, selections from a musical travelogue, and they need, like, a new marquee for that title, will be presented. The musical features music by Brad Alexander and book and lyrics by Adam Mathias. On Monday, April 23rd, Queen Esther will be performed. The show is described as a musical comedy for all ages based on the story of Purim from the writers of I Love You Because. The show features music by Joshua Saltzman and book and lyrics by Ryan Cunningham. Oh, and yes, I mentioned that there were two ideas for sitcoms that didn't sound all that hot. Well, the second one, Tony Award winner Christian Chenoweth has been cast in ABC's new pilot, Pushing Daisies, according to Variety. She will co-star with Lee Pace, Anna Friel, and Chai McBride. The pilot will be produced for Warner Brothers TV by executive producers Brian Fuller, Dan Jinks, Bruce Cohen, and Barry Sonnenfeld, who also directs. According to the article, Pushing Daisies is a comedy drama that concerns a man who falls in love with a deceased woman after he figures out how to bring the dead back to life. Okay, it could work. I like the fact that it's directed by Barry Sonnenfeld and uh, Kristen Chenoweth. But take Barry and Sonnenfeld out of the equation, and it sounds like a stinker. Let's hope it's not the case. If the pilot is picked up, Chenoweth will be featured on her first regular series since The West Wing, in which she appeared as Annabeth Schlott. She also previously starred in the self-titled sitcom Kristen. All right, that wraps up Top of the Trades. I'll be back next week with more news from the theater scene. Curtain call. All right, that wraps up Volume 104 of Broadway Bullet. we got a lot of stuff coming up in the next episode or two. We're going to be hearing from a couple of very quirky projects, including the Sublet Experiment, which performs in different people's apartments, the Rejection Show, which features uh, people who get rejected for various things. We've also got an interview and musical selections coming from In the Heights, and we just got tons of stuff coming up. So make sure you stay subscribed, or if you're not subscribed subscribe. And please take a moment when you get a chance to fill out our survey. We're oh so close to the magical 200 number that we kind of need for a little bit of statistical accuracy. And don't forget to register for the site and sign up to win the Fan Yangtastic Broadway Bullet Bubble Birthday Blowout. Yeah, I want to see everybody on my birthday. It'll be a blast. So sign up for that. Well, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you again next week on board the Broadway Bullet. I wouldn't want it to be too
3: perfect every night. It is live, after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elegant. That's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more
4: comfortable, with, you know, issue of people being different.
3: I mean, we do it all. I
6: mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything.
4: So.
0: to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution.